Masechet Nedarim Daf Lamed Aleph. We're going to see a few Mishnayot today, and they have the common theme that someone makes a vow using somewhat ambiguous language, or language that's uh, often used in a way that's not literal. And therefore, we want to see, does it include everybody literally in that category or not? So here's the first. Someone says, I am not going to have any benefit from those who keep Shabbat. So who keeps Shabbat? Asur be Israel asur be Kutim. He's prohibited from any Jew because Jews are commanded to rest on Shabbat, so he cannot have any benefit from them. But also Kutim. Kutim is the way the Mishnah refers to Samaritans. Samaritans are the remnants of the northern ten tribes mixed in with some other people from other countries that were brought in. So they're called disparagingly uh, Kutim, Kuta, another. Uh, different and outside land, meaning foreigners, if they really were all Kutim, then they would not be uh, ethnically Jewish, uh, but some of them are a mixture of the original ten tribes. Okay, there's a big question about the Samaritans. Are they considered B'nai Israel or not? They actually don't consider them part, don't consider themselves Jewish because Jewish is Yehudim from the south and they're from the north, but they do consider themselves to be the original ten tribes and therefore part of the Brit of the Torah. Uh, the Jews, however, did not consider them for the most part. Now there is a machloket in the Talmud whether they converted and whether their conversion was valid because it says in Sefer Melachim that they were afraid of lions because that were in the north of Israel and so they converted. So according to one opinion, their conversion is valid, and so therefore they are actually Jewish. According to another opinion, their conversion was not valid because it was done only out of fear. All right, the main point is that the Samaritans do keep the five books of Moses, um, and the things that they do keep, including Shabbat, they generally keep even in a more stringent way. So therefore, if you want to talk about those who keep Shabbat, the Samaritans do keep Shabbat. And so, whatever you want to categorize them, they do keep Shabbat on, uh, on, according to their interpretation. And therefore, if someone says, I have no benefit from those who keep Shabbat, that will include Samaritans. Now, someone says, I'm not going to benefit, have benefit from anyone who eats garlic. Um, that also includes not only Jews, but also Samaritans. Now, why are people eating garlic? It seems as talking about eating garlic on Friday night, because garlic was an aphrodisiac. And so from the time of Ezra, there was a takana. Uh, an institution that people, that Jews, should eat garlic so that they will perform a mitzvah and be with their uh, spouses on Friday night, mitzvah night. And so that's the idea of eating garlic. So um, since that's a common uh, practice for Jews, I don't know about their breath after eating garlic, but apparently this was a positive thing. Okay, now how about the Samaritans? According to the Mishnah, the Samaritans also have the, have the custom of eating garlic uh, uh, for, uh, for Friday night. Um, this is curious because according to um, uh, most uh, sources, it would seem that Samaritans do not permit marital relations on Shabbat. We know for sure the Dead Sea sect does, uh, uh, prohibits relations. Um, Karaites also do, and uh, I'm trying to do a little more research to find out uh, about Samaritans, but I don't believe that they do um, uh, have a permit relations. So why would it say here that they're included in those who eat garlic? We're not sure. 
Perhaps they eat garlic for some other reason. Maybe it's just part of their, their Friday night food and makes Friday night special. And so they like garlicky food. So that's a way of saying they are have Onik Shabbat and, and keep Shabbat. Maybe it's included in that. Uh, or maybe Samaritans at different times did different things. And maybe back then they uh, they did um, perform marital relations, and but maybe not in other times. Okay, that's uh, case number two. Case number three. Someone says, I am going to be prohibited, uh, all benefit from. Those who go up to Jerusalem for, for holidays will be prohibited to me. That surely will uh, include Jews, because Jews go to Jerusalem. That We consider that the holiest place. But Samaritans certainly do not. That's one of the fundamental differences between Jews and Samaritans. Jews consider Jerusalem to be the capital, whereas Samaritans, who are from the north, consider that Hadgerizim in Shechem is the holiest place, and that's where they had their temple was built. Was built. Um, so that certainly would not, uh, they would not consider, uh, they would not be considered in the category of those who go up to Jerusalem. In fact, uh, one of the main reasons that the Samaritans reject Nevi'im and Ketuvim is because Nevi'im and Ketuvim talk about Yerushalayim all the time, right? King David and so on. Uh, praising Yerushalayim throughout Tehillim, and so therefore they reject those books, uh, five books of Moses. The Chumash only no, does not mention Yerushalayim by name, but just Hamakom Mashiach, the place that God will choose, leaving it ambiguous, and they interpret that to mean Had Gerizim. Okay, so this is a fascinating Mishnah, not only uh, regarding uh, Nedarim and the way people use language, but also a little bit about the role of the Samaritans and some of their practices and how, what the rabbis, uh, how the rabbis related to those Samaritans. Good. My Shovte Shabbat. Now we want to understand what does that mean, those who rest on Shabbat? Shabbat. If it just means that those who fulfill Shabbat, is it only Samaritans that, fill, that fulfill Shabbat? Even some Gentiles uh, keep Shabbat. What Gentiles are keeping Shabbat, this might be referring to some Christians. Even though nowadays Christians do not keep Saturday, they do something on Sunday, but they don't, you know, they still drive and all that. Uh, but in the early time, early Christianity, there were many non-Jews who uh, took on Christianity and they took on an observant uh, type of Christianity that was based on Judaism and they even included observance of Shabbat on Saturday, um, a, you know, a, a serious observance. So this could be talking about some non-Jews who were keeping Shabbat and so if it means anyone who keeps Shabbat then uh, one should also be prohibited from getting benefit from those um, observant Christians. Um, you have even today some Seventh-day Adventists who are actually um, uh, keep a lot of a lot of laws, not uh, not exactly up to halacha, but they don't really. They are pretty serious about not working on Saturday, so it should. It seems like they should be included also. al hashabbat. We said no. We're not talking about anyone who happens to rest on Shabbat, rather only those who are commanded to keep Shabbat. And that is not true for non-Jews, whether they're Christians or whatever. They're not commanded, um, but. Uh, Jews and Samaritans are commanded. Uh, Samaritans, they follow the Torah itself, and um, perhaps they're considered c good converts. And so, uh, one way or another, they do it out of, uh, out of, because of the commandment of the Torah.
אוקיי. נאו, אי הכי אם אספה מעולי ירושלים, אסור בישראל מותר בכותים. אמי והמצווים ננהו. Hold on, that last clause says, uh, if someone says I'm prohibited, Uh, to have benefit from those who go up to Jerusalem now, and that includes Jews, but it does not include Samaritans. Why? Aren't Samaritans also commanded to go up to Yerushalayim? In other words, they don't follow this commandment because they disagree with it, but technically, if you say that they are, in fact, proper converts or part of the Jewish people in some way, if they're legitimately part of B'nai Israel, and that's what you just said, that they, they are commanded to keep, to keep Shabbat, then you would have to say also that they are commanded to go to Yerushalayim, even though nobody, none of them do it, and they're against it, and they interpret the Torah differently, but nevertheless they are commanded, so they should be prohibited. In the third case, said, um, in order to be included in the, such a vow, one has to be commanded and actually perform the mitzvah. Um, and so in the two first ones, So in the first two cases of Uh, someone keeping Shabbat or eating garlic, they're both, which is also related to Shabbat, um, then uh, Jews and Samaritans are both commanded to keep Shabbat, and they bo both do perform and uh, fulfill the laws of Shabbat. Whereas some non-Jews, even if they do keep Shabbat, but they don't do, they're not commanded to do so, so they are excluded from the category. Whereas those who go up to Jerusalem, Be'olei Yerushalayim, Yisrael Mesuvin Ve'osin, Kuti Mesuvin Ve'namosin. The Jews are commanded to go to Jerusalem, and they fulfill that commandment, so they would be included in the category. Samaritans are commanded because they... Um, are part of that of the of Torah observance. Nevertheless, they don't agree with that interpretation and they don't fulfill it, and therefore they would not be included in that category. All right, really fascinating. Now next Mishnah. Kunam Noach Someone says that all benefit from Bene Noach is prohibited to me. Now Bene Noach technically should refer to every human being, because every human being is a descendant of Noah. But nevertheless, we say it's permitted uh, to a Jew, and he's prohibited only from non-Jews. So this is strange. How come Jews are not included within B'nai Noach? So that's what we ask. Didn't the Jews, uh, are, why are Jews excluded from the category of Noah? After all, aren't we all descended from Noah? And the answer is, says, No, once Abraham was sanctified and chosen to be special, to be different from everybody else, now Jews are called by the children of Abraham and no longer are called B'nai Noach. So even though technically, biologically, yes, everybody's B'nai Noach, but that's not what the term means anymore. Similarly to the way you call, say, uh, you say Kohen versus a Levi. Now technically, all Kohanim are also from the tribe of Levi. So when you say Levi, shouldn't you include Kohanim? No, we don't say that, um, because once Kohanim are, uh, are, uh, are chosen and separated, Uh, then the word Levi means those from Levi and not Kohanim. Okay, same thing here. Good. Next Mishnah. Sheni nehene lezera Abraham. Asur b'Yisrael mutar b'mota ha'olam. 
And someone says, I am not going to have any benefit from the descendants of Abraham. In that case, he's prohibited to any Jew, but he's permitted to have benefit from uh, other from non-Jews. Okay, fine. Now, now we ask, well, wait a second. The descendants of Abraham includes Ishmael. So if he says a, a vow against the descendants of Abraham, shouldn't that include also uh, those who are descended from Ishmael? Um, the answer is no. Right? Parashat Hashavua, because um, God, uh, um, uh, Hashem told Abraham, I am going to only call Yitzchak in Yitzchak that seed shall be called in you and not Yishmael. Right? His sending away of Yishmael was not simply that he's not going to see him uh, anymore, but actually that was a legal disowning of Yishmael. Um, we know from the ancient Near East, when you send a child away with food, with money, then you're not disowning them. And that's why Abraham sends him with only a little bread and water. That's a legal act of disowning. So sorry, you are not part of their legacy anymore, but rather only Yitzchak, he's going to carry on the Berit. So therefore, Zera Abraham means, in fact, only Yitzchak and not the Ishmaelites. Ketiv. Hold on. If you say the descendants of Abraham, fine, that means only Yitzchak. But what about the children of, of Yitzchak, which are Yaakov and also Esav? So if I say I'm not going to benefit from Abraham, that should also include the category of Esav, who in Midrash are associated with Rome and Christians. And so wouldn't that include all those people? The answer is no. Be Yitzchak velo kol Yitzchak. Then the same pasuk doesn't say ki Yitzchaki Yitzchak will be called, but rather within Yitzchak, not all the descendants of Yitzchak, but only within some of the descendants of Yitzchak, that will be called your Zera, uh, your descendants, uh, because the Brit will go through Yaakov and not through Isav. And therefore, when someone says, I'm not going to benefit from Zera Avraham, it doesn't mean all the biological uh, children of Avraham, but rather only those uh, that carry on the uh, that carry on the berit, those are called z- uh, zera. Good. Next Mishnah. Sheni nehenem Yisrael lokeach beyoter umocher bepachot. If someone says, "I am not going to benefit uh, from any Jew," oh, then uh, he can, and he still wants to do some commerce with Jews. Um, he can, as long as he buys high and sells low. So that way, if he buys for, oh, if he overpays, so then the vow, person making the vow is not receiving benefit, he's actually giving benefit uh, to, the, to the seller. That's permitted. And when the person who made the vow sells, he should sell very cheaply. And that way, he's giving a benefit to the buyer, but the vower himself is not receiving benefit. And either way, he does not receive benefit from a Jew, so that's okay. Now we have the opposite case. She Israel Nehenin Ali. A person makes a vow, I don't want any Jew to have benefit from me. In that case, he can receive benefit but can't give benefit. So it will be the opposite then. Lokeach Bepachot, he can buy cheaply. 
and he can sell uh, more than the normal price, mocher biyoter, right? Because if he sells for higher than the regular price, then that's a detriment for the other guy, the guy who's buying it. And that would be permitted because he said, um, I don't want any Jew to benefit from me. That Jew is not benefiting from him. Rather, the person making the vow is benefiting by, by selling at a higher price than normal. And that's permitted. Now, in the second case, ve'en shom in law, nobody would listen to him because if it's for the detriment of the other guy, right, no one's going to want to go and um, if, if he buys for less, no one's going to want to sell him things that are less than the, for less than the market price. So he can ask for it, but no one's going to give in to it. And if he tries to sell something for higher than the, than the market price, no one's going to want to buy from him. And so he's really not going to help him unless he's able, able to find uh, some sucker that will um, um, give him a deal. If he says includes both, I am not going to uh, give any benefit to any Jew, and I don't want any anyone else, any Jew, to give benefit from me. I prohibit them to me. Then he cannot buy or sell, not high, not low, to any Jew. But he can go and do commerce with non-Jews at any price that he wants, because he only said me Israel. All right, that's the Mishnah. Now. Amar Shemuel, Halokech kelimin ha'uman lebakero, v'nehenas beyado hayav. If someone goes and you go to a store, um, a, a glasses store, right? And you're checking out the merchandise, you're examining, you're trying it on, and then by mistake it breaks, right? Um, that person is liable, right? You bro you broke it, you bought it. Um, okay, why? Alma kasavad hanaat lokeach. He must be that Shemuel thinks that there is ben the, uh, there is benefit to the buyer, right? The prospective buyer. He receives benefit from having a showroom there, and the fact that he can come in and he can examine, try on. That is a benefit to the buyer because they, he's receiving benefit. We're going to treat him not like a a watchman, uh, because a watchman, if you give me something to watch, here, just hold on to this for a few minutes, and then it breaks, I am not liable. As opposed to a borrower, if I rent something from you, or if I borrow something from you, and I, I can use it, since I can use it, I can, I'm deriving benefit from it. If it breaks, even by mistake, I am liable, right? If I go and say, can I borrow your lawnmower? and it breaks while I'm using it, uh, then I am liable. So in this case, we consider the fact that I'm in your store, your showroom, I'm trying out your glasses and they broke, I am deriving benefit from the possibility of trying it out and examining it and potentially buying it. And therefore, when it breaks in my hands, I am liable. Okay, so we, that's, what we think, that's the principle that we learned from Shemuel. Now we're going to ask a question against Shemuel from the different clauses in our Mishnah. Tenan, she'eni nehene mi'israel, and the very first clause, when the person vows and says, I will not receive benefit from a Jew, that person um, can sell at a cheap price, because since he made a vow, I'm not going to receive benefit, but he's selling for a cheap price, so actually the buyer is the one benefiting, that's okay. Aval, law, but we can infer from the Mishnah that if I if I sell it for an equal value, then it's not allowed. Now but if based on the principle of Shemuel, that when there's a regular market price, a bet there's always a benefit built into the buyer. The buyer is always happy to have the opportunity to buy, and that's worth something. 
then even if I sell at a regular price, that would that should still be permitted, right? Once again, I made a vow. I say I'm not going to benefit from any Jew. And then I sell you this item at normal price. So who's receiving the benefit? Well, it's the buyer because he has the opportunity to buy it. The seller is not getting is not getting anything. I mean, I'm getting money, but um, I'm also giving away the merchandise. And so the net benefit is to the buyer, according to Shemuel. So why do you have to say that I have to sell for less? How about just say equal? So we answer. Oh, this Mishnah must be talking about uh, merchandise that's that lies in in his face. In other words, it's merchandise that's been sitting around in my store for a long time, and there's not a lot of demand for it. And uh, so um, I take these items and say, you know what? I'm so happy to, to to sell it because if you don't buy it, then it's going to sit around here for another year or two. And so in that case, yeah, usually a buyer benefits uh, when there's something that is regularly sold. But if it's um, if it's an item that is no has low demand, then the seller actually is very happy. He gets the benefit. So that's what we're talking about. I made a vow that I will not receive benefit, and but and I and I. Uh, if I would just sell it to you as at market price and it's an item of low demand, then I'm actually receive benefit from you buying it. And that's why the Mishnah has to say that it means when I sell it at a lower price, so I'm not benefiting from it. Okay, fine. Now we're going to say the whole Mishnah is, does that, will the whole Mishnah work if it's talking about things that are at low demand? Let's see. Imken emadesha. Look at the uh, very the, the very first case of the first case. Lokeach biyoter. If I say I'm not going to benefit from anyone, I can still buy from you for a higher price because then um, I'm then then I'm not benefiting from you. You're actually benefiting from me. So if it's but it's something of low demand, then that would not make sense because then for me buying, well, I would have to buy at a higher price, even if I buy it at a normal price. Um, since it's a, a something of low demand, I the buyer. I'm actually giving you a benefit, and that should be permitted. So why did the Mishnah have to say at a higher price? Furthermore, ve'od emasefa. Also, this assumption will not work with the second clause in the Mishnah that said Yisrael nehenin li. If I make a vow the other way around, other way around, I'm not going to give any benefit to any Jew. And there, the Mishnah says biyoter. That if I want to buy something, I have to buy cheaply. Um, less than that, so that um, you don't get any benefit. And if I want to sell to you, I have to sell to you at a high price, so you don't get any benefit. And and if it's something that is uh, uh, difficult to find, that, that that is of low demand, rather, uh, then, then even if it's of uh, at the market price, if I sell you something at, uh, at market price that has low demand, then me, the seller, I'm the one benefiting from it. And that is permitted because in this formula, I only said that, no, you can't benefit from me, but I can't benefit from you. So why does it have to say, mocher biyotel, that has to raise the price? If it's talking about a low, a low uh, demand item, it could even be the same price. So this assumption that you use to, to resolve in the first clause uh, will not work for the sefa and not even for the other half of the resha itself. 
So we answer, no, Sefa Bezevina Harifa. Oh, the second clause is talking about not something that has low demand, but the opposite, a hot ticket item. That literally, Harifa, uh, it's a hot, hot thing that everybody, there's a lot of demand for it. And when there's a lot of demand, Ihachi, uh, so when there's a lot of demand, then the benefit is to the uh, to the buyer. The buyer is like, oh, can you reserve one for me? Oh, you know, thank you for selling this to me. It's very hard to find. Um, right, a lot of the stores are all out of it, and so that would be the uh, the benefit is to the buyer. So that would help explain just only the last answer that we the last clause uh, that if I said Yisanehanin li that I make sure I vow that no one can benefit from me and then I sell something at market price but it's something that is hard to find so um, in that case I would have to sell it at a higher value because if I said it, I sell it at an equal value then the buyer is benefiting from it okay so we could say now that Isha has went to low demand item the Sefa has a higher higher demand item but it still does not work because if in the Sefa why, if I'm buying, I said that you can have no benefit from me, and now I'm going to buy something from you, and it's a hot ticket item, and uh, uh, why, why, why does it have to be that I buy for less than the value? Even if I buy for equal value, I benefit because it's so hard to find. And so that we wouldn't have to say, Lokech bepachot, afilu shaveh b'shaveh. So rather, this whole line of thinking will not work. I think that was kind of obvious from the start that if you, uh, right, that even within the Resha or even within the Sefa, if you say it's talking about a low demand or high demand, then it's not going to work out. So that is an impossible interpretation. Rather, we abandon that and we say the entire Mishnah is talking about average sale, things that are, you know, like uh, just, you know, milk, eggs, things that are normally available, not low demand, not very high demand. And therefore, the market price by itself uh, benefits both, both sides. Where, um, and that's why um, in none, none of these cases can you do a market price, um, but rather it would have to be uh, higher than normal or lower than normal. So we're leaving the Mishnah out of this. The Mishnah just leave as Peshat, not talking about any unusual circumstances. And what about Shemuel, right? We still did have a question, a challenge to Shemuel. Oh, Shemuel is talking about a hot ticket item. So once again, when Shemuel says, you broke it, you bought it, why? How come if I if I buy it, so I'm just a buyer. I didn't acquire it yet. Why should I'm um, I'm checking something out in your store? I'm checking out some watches in this in your watch store. You're the craftsman, and now while as I'm examining it, I broke it, so I have to pay. Why? Um, so Shemuel so Shemuel said because the buyer is getting a benefit. Why is the buyer getting a benefit? Now we're explaining it. Shemuel would apply only not to an equal exchange because an equal exchange you're benefiting, I'm benefiting equally, and so it shouldn't be it shouldn't be considered that I'm I'm uh, you know uh, uh, renting it or anything. Um, but if the buyer if, if it's something in high demand, right? Everybody's out of this watch, and here you have one. So now I'm really it's about my benefit to have the opportunity to buy it. So because of that benefit that you are giving me, um, that is kind of like I am. Uh, 
a borrower, like if I if I borrow your lawnmower and I can use it, I derive benefit from it and it breaks, I'm responsible. So too here for the opportunity to check out the watch and possibly buy it is a benefit that I'm getting while I am examining it. And therefore, if it breaks under my watch, uh, I am liable. Okay, so now we understand uh, Shemuel's, uh, uh, Shemuel's law and it's reconciled with our Mishnah. Tanya kevate de Shemuel, we have a baraita that supports Shemuel. Halokech kelimin hatagar de shageran lebet hamiv. Interesting case of I go to the um, uh, I, I go to the watch store and I, I get some items to bring to my father-in-law. I want to give my father-in-law a present and so I think he'll like this watch. Um, and so I, I take it from the owner and I uh, from the store owner. Listen, if my father-in-law, uh, this is them, you know, my in-laws like this item, and then I will pay you for it, right? How much is $100? Uh, let me take it, show it to them. If they like it and keep it, then I'll pay you the full amount. But if not, then I'll bring back the watch and I will pay you the amount of benefit that I received from offering it as a gift, right? They'll say, no, we, we don't need a watch. It's fine. Thank you for thinking of us. We appreciate it so much. So how much is that worth to um, offer a gift that isn't accepted? Well, you know what? That's worth $10, say, right? Then I'm gonna, they're going to like me better and they'll do me a favor afterwards. So that's worth $10. So if, I, if they end up not liking it and I return it, then I'll give you $10 for the benefit of being able to use it for a while and show it to them. Now, in that case, in that story, let's say it breaks on the way. Depends which way. If it breaks on the way from the shop to my in-law's house, then I am responsible because I have this item. I'm deriving benefit from it. It's like a lawnmower that I'm deriving benefit because my benefit is I can go and show it to them. And so therefore I, I'm, I'm liable even if it breaks by mistake. But on the way back, that's it. I finished the benefit. I don't have any benefit from it anymore. Now I am like someone who's watching it. Um, even if I'm getting paid for it, someone who gets is paid to be a watchman, um, he's responsible if he's negligent. But um, if it's a complete mistake, then he's not responsible. And so now I'm simply bringing it back for you. Um, and uh, therefore, on the way back, I'm not deriving benefit from it, from benefit from it any, anymore. I'm not like a borrower, and therefore, uh, I'm not responsible. Okay, so what do we see here? That even though in the first case there was no money exchanged, I didn't actually buy it, but I receive if I receive benefit from taking it, using it, examining it, showing it to my in-laws, and that's a benefit to the buyer, uh, then I am responsible. So that's a similar to uh, Shemuel's case. If I break it while I'm examining it, uh, and, and it's a high-ticket item, so that's a benefit to me to be able to do that, uh, that's why um, I'm responsible if it breaks. Good. Um, and last story here. Hahu saf sira tishkal chamarad zabune vela izaban. There we had a, a middleman who is trying to sell donkeys from his from the the farmer. Says like I have a lot of donkeys. Can you go find someone to sell it? So this middleman is taking the donkey around, and he's not able to find the buyer. 
So he takes it out to the market, he takes it around to other people, and they can't find the buyer, so he's now going to return it back to the original farm. And um, something happens, and uh, the, the donkey dies. They said, well, sorry, the middleman, you have to pay for it. All right, um, because it was under your watch. Now, Rava questioned Rav Nachman based on the halacha that we just said, um, that if it breaks, if something breaks on the way there, on the way to show the merchandise, then the person is liable. That I understand. Why? Because the middleman is basically, he's like borrowing it like a lawnmower, right? He has benefit, the benefit that he can show it to prospective buyers, and potentially make a deal. Um, so since he uh, has benefit, um, he is like a borrower and he is responsible. But on the way back, that's it, he gave up. He says, I'm not going to sell it to anyone. Now he's simply returning it. When he's returning it, he doesn't get any benefit from it. So he not, should not be like a borrower. And so therefore he should not be liable. So Rav Nachman, how come you said he's liable? He answered, no, the, even the return trip of a, of a middleman is the same as his leaving. Because, let's say he would find someone, he happened to see someone, even on the way back, even at the door of the house of the original farmer. There might be, you know, someone else, some stranger there who say, oh, look at that donkey, I want to buy it. And the middleman would then make a sale. So the middleman actually is uh, ready to sell it and is, is selling it, is uh, offering it, is advertising everywhere he goes, even on the way back, even at the doorstep. And therefore the whole time he's considered a borrower who does receive benefit from the opportunity of holding on to the item. And that's why he is liable, even in that case. And the last Mishnah of the day, Kunam she'ani la'arelim mutar Yisrael Someone says, Korban, I am prohibited from having any benefit from anyone who's arel, who's uncircumcised. Now, if we take this literally, then we have to check each person, uncircumcised or circumcised. But we're going to see is that the word arelim does not mean uh, uh, physically if they have a circumcision or not, but rather is a general term that means uh, those who are not Jewish are called arelim, even though many non-Jews including Arabs, even in those days, in the Talmud, even before there was Islam, uh, we saw somewhere else the Arabs were generally circumcised. Ancient Egyptians, uh, many of them were circumcised. So it's not about technically whether they are, they are or not. The word Adalim is a catch-all to mean anyone who's not Jewish. So therefore, if someone says, I'm prohibited to anyone who's an Adel, is permitted to uh, Jews, uh, all Jews, not only those who have a circumcision, but even a Jew who doesn't have a circumcision. For example, a Jew whose uh, who's two brothers died from circumcision, then we say, okay, this is dangerous, right? This his family has a problem, and they are not allowed to get a circumcision. That's fine. Uh, even though he, that Jew is not circumcised, they're not included in the category of Adel, because that's, that's how people use the word Adel. Uh, to mean anyone's not Jewish. And he's prohibited to those who are circumcised from other nations. So some Arab that has a circumcision, you cannot benefit from that guy, even though he said only an Adelim, and he's not technically an Adel, he's included in the category of Adel nevertheless. And the opposite would be the same thing. 
I'm not going to derive benefit from those who are circumcised. That includes all Jews. He's prohibited from all Jews, certainly those who are circumcised, even those who are not circumcised are included in the category of Mulim. But he's permitted uh, to derive benefit from those who are circumcised from the other nations. Even though he said Mulim are prohibited to me, uh, if some Arab comes who is circumcised, he can derive benefit from him because that's not what people mean. When they say mulim, uh, it's uh, it's an idiom that means Jews. Now, why is this so? Because it's not about the physically being uh, uncircumcised, but rather orla is a um, is a way that other nations are called. They're called those without those who are not circumcised. And this is the way it's used in many Pesukim in the Torah. And the Mishnah itself will bring three. This is a kind of unusual Mishnah. It brings a lot of Agadah and brings um, a bunch of Pesukim. Yirmiyah says all the other nations are physically uncircumcised and the Jewish people are uh, spiritually uncircumcised, uh, circum- uncircumcised of the heart. Uh, this is not this is a negative thing about Jews, but it is making a distinction uh, between those who are physically and not physically. And this says all non-Jews are uncircumcised. So even though that's not technically true, some non-Jews are physically circumcised. Nevertheless, they are called by the catch-all name Adelim. Um, David talking about Goliath says this uncircumcised Pelishti. Did David check? Did he know? No, it doesn't matter. He it's a, it's just a um, a derogatory name to talk about any non-Jews, including a Pelishti, Ha'adel. And this Pasuk in Shemuel it brings a parallelism between Pelishtim and Adelim. In other words, anyone who is Pelishti, who's not Jewish, is an Adel. Good. That's enough proofs. Uh, quoting uh, one of those, uh, the first pasuk again, Rabbi Elazar now goes on an Agadah and says that an, uh, an Orla is a disgraceful thing, is a disca- disgraceful uh, description. And that's why the Shaim are associated with having an Orla. Kol goim adelim. This is meant in a in a disparaging way. And the opposite, the Bishmel says, having a Brit Milah is fantastic, is the greatest mitzvah. Look how there are 13 covenants that are signed because of it. Where do we see that? In Bereshit, Perek Yud Zayin, that, that paragraph where Hashem commands Abraham regarding Berit Milah, it says the word Berit 13 times. That's very significant. So yes, there you go. See, Berit 13 times are, is repeated for Berit Milah. Other good things. Look how important Berit uh, Milah is that it overrides even Shabbat. Now Shabbat is very uh, uh, stringent, right? It's the, the worst punishment of Sikila, someone who overrides it. Nevertheless, 
if the eighth day of a baby falls out on Shabbat, we violate Shabbat and we perform the Berit Milah. Look how important Berit Milah is that Moshe was, um, his punishment was not postponed for not doing Berit Milah even for, uh, even for a moment uh, in that famous scene when he gets to the Malon. On the way, when he when Moshe is going back to Mitzrayim to redeem the save the Jewish people, this uh, angelic being comes and threatens to kill. We're going to see in a minute whether he kill try threatens to kill either Moshe or his son because he didn't do Brit Milah on his son. He delayed it, and therefore all Moshe all Moshe's righteousness would not have saved him from the death penalty uh, for delaying doing Brit Milah on his son. Rabbi Nechemiah Omer, Gedolam Milah, Shedochat Negaim. Brit Milah is so great that it overrides Nega. There's a halacha. If someone has a, a sara'at uh, um, on his skin, you're not allowed to take a knife and take it off. Um, you have to heal, you have to wait and heal it in other ways. You can't just cut it off. What if someone has a Brit Milah on the foreskin? Halacha is, and you have to do Brit Milah? Yes, you cut it off. Even though you're violating the halacha of nega, brit milah is more important. Rabbi Omer Gedola Milah, Shekola Misvot Shasab Raham Rabinu, Lonikra Shalem Ad Shemal Shenemar Hitalech Lefanai, Vietamim Abraham, all the Misvot that he, Abraham did, right, and all the wonderful tests and everything were not, he was not called wholehearted until he did, did does brit milah. Uh, because in the Perikudzain, again, right before Hashem commands him to do brit milah, he says, walk before me and be wholehearted. How can you be wholehearted? Only when you do brit milah. That's, that's when everything else that you did still not, not going to be called tamim. Mila is great that if not for Brit Mila, Hashem would not have created the world. Right? What's the point of creating the world if not that you're going to have um, uh, people that are committed to this Brit as shown through Brit Mila? As the Pasuk in Yirmiya said, if not for my berit, day and night, the berit, meaning berit milah that you have, no matter what you're doing or not doing, even if you're sleeping, you have the berit milah. If not for that berit, I would never have made the laws of the heavens and the earth, the laws of nature, the heavens and earth themselves, I would not have created. This pasuk is very important because uh, the Midrash is, uh, is actually not the Peshat. You see in the Peshat it continues and says, uh, The Peshat is, As surely as I made a Berit with the day and the night and the heavens and the earth, that the laws of nature are going to continue forever, so too I will never reject the offspring of, 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 uh, of Yaakov and David. In other words, in the Peshat, this means that Hashem will never uh, change the Berit, no matter what. Right? This is a guarantee. It's more guaranteed than the fundamental laws of day and night and nature. Uh, but in this Midrash, it takes it as a, actually a conditional that the laws of nature are based on, are conditioned on um, people uh, performing Berit Milah.
So it puts a lot more responsibility on, uh, on human beings to fulfill. Okay, we'll begin the Gemara on this. Tanya, Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha Omer, Gedolam bila shekol zichuyot shasam Moshe Rabbeinu lo amdu lo keshenit et Hashem en hamila shenemar vayifkeshehu Hashem vayibakesh hamito. Right, so uh, echoing what the, what the Mishnah said, Rabbi Yoshua ben Korcha says, Great is Mila, because all of the merits that Moshe had did not stand for him, did not protect him when he was negligent about the, uh, doing the Brit Milah, as it says in that scene in uh, Shemot that the uh, Shem met him and well, almost and tried to kill Moshe for not doing Brit Milah on his son. So the B says, how could you say that Moshe was neglectful of, of Mila? What do you mean? He was, just, was, he was just lazy? He wasn't going to do Brit Mila? Rather, Moshe had a problem because he had a child, and but he was commanded to go to Egypt and save the people. Hashem said, go. So now, how is he going to fulfill both of them? He says, if I do Brit Milah on my son now, and then immediately go out, uh, go on the, on, the, uh, on the journey, that is dangerous, because we know that the third day is the most painful. Um, as, it says, as we know from the story in Shechem, on the third day, when they were the most in pain, that's when uh, the sons of Yaakov took advantage and they and they killed the they killed the people in Shechem. So I can't do that. Should I do Brit Milah my son now while I'm still in Midian and then wait, delay my trip for three days? I can't do that. Hashem said, now go. You have to go now. So he didn't want to delay the, the trip, which is God's commandment. Uh, so he said, you know what? I better delay the Brit Milah and, um, and not do it now and go on the trip without Brit Milah, and then when I get there, I'll do Brit Milah when I arrive. So it's not that Moshe was lazy and was not going to do Brit Milah. He had a good reason to delay it. And now, if so, why was he punished? And the answer is, It's because he did not circumcise his son at the first moment he could. First, he got to the hotel, he rented the room, he checked it out, and he was, um, he, he was uh, involved in the lodging first. And instead, he should have said, okay, I got here. Uh, the, the, the trip is over. Now it's safe to do Brit Milah. He shouldn't have done Brit Milah right away. And then he should have unpacked his bags in the, uh, in, in the hotel afterwards. And so this is um, a nice midrash because it connects. And why, why is, who cares where he was? No, Bamalon means because he had did the, talked about the Malon. He dealt with the Malon first. That, that's the reason um, why he was, uh, he was liable. Uh, one more paragraph. Rashbag says that this uh, uh, this angel of Hashem was not trying to kill Moshe, but um, uh, it's called Satan here um, because uh, as it's still also an angel of God or, or a representative of God's will to punish someone who's not doing the right thing. And so the Satan was not didn't didn't want to kill Moshe himself, but rather the child. The child was the was the focus of attack because it was not circumcised. Um, how do you know that? Because it says Satan damim atali. 
you are chatan, a bridegroom of blood. Now, what does that mean? Who is called a bridegroom? Certainly, that would be the infant, since he's the one that is entering the covenant, just like a groom and a bride are entering into a deal, uh, an agreement with each other. So, too, a baby and Hashem are the uh, are like a, like a, a bridegroom and a bride who are entering a um, an, an agreement together, and at the point at the uh, when they do brit milah, and so therefore, if he was using the word chatan, that wouldn't make sense to call Moshe a chatan. He's not the one entering the brit, but rather his son is called the is called the bridegroom because that he is the one that's entering, and so it was actually the son's who the son whose life is was in danger for not having a brit milah. Continue more about the story tomorrow. Baruch Adonai Lodam. Amen. Amen.